My name's Anton Joerster. I am the Senior Vice President for the Internet of Things at Dimension Data. Well, Anton, welcome to the African Tech Roundup. Thanks very much, Andili. Good to be with you. So we have something in common, you and I. We both didn't want to go to varsity, but did. We both had dads who forced, made us do it. And we're both kind of glad they did. Absolutely. You know, I, I think there's wisdom uh, for having spent time on this planet. And I uh, probably want to acknowledge that my dad, was he was right at the time. I was wrong. Great benefit of, of having gone to university um, and, and being privileged, I suppose, to have had a tertiary education and now being able to, to put it to good effect. So uh, in hindsight, listen to your parents. <laughs> That's so true. And so this is somewhat of a full circle moment. I, I don't, you know, no, no, let's not cue any violins or anything, but you had this financial career many, many, many years ago right here in, in London working for Credit Suisse. You'd later moved back to South Africa and uh, you've taken on this sort of entrepreneurial vibe within, within sort of the IT field. And now you're back in London talking IoT, uh, promoting really you know the, you know the promise of iot is is this is it a full circle moment or, or am i making more of it than it is no it, it, it is in a way a full circle moment i mean i think london's one of those great cities of the world i mean those that get to spend time here will get a sense of the energy uh, the entrepreneurial character of the place i think there's a burgeoning tech industry here so whilst many people will see london as as, as possibly the world's financial capital i think there's a lot more to it and you certainly get that sense um, and and just its geographic location in the world, I think, makes it an attractive destination. So it's always nice to come back to a city like this. Um, and as you've probably seen from the audience that we've been exposed to over the last two days, you've really got a broad interest in merging trends like the Internet of Things. And it's always nice to, to have an eclectic mix of people and really learn, understand what people are doing, what's working, what's not working. Um, and, and I think it's through this collaborative uh, opportunity that, that conferences like the IoT World Forum offer that one really does get to learn um, and it's through actually human engagement so whilst this is a technology centered event it is amazing how you just cannot replace human interface uh, dialogue like in fact we're having right now and so help me contextualize some of what we've been hearing at this conference it, it very international in nature um, leaning very heavily to the developed world experience in terms of, uh, you know, the, some, many of the speakers coming from economies where, you know, internet penetration is at a certain level, digital transformation in many enterprises where they come from is, I wouldn't say maturing, but certainly at an advanced stage relative to, say, the African continent. Uh, in the context of dimension data, which, and I'm, I'm sure these figures are, are long since wrong, but something to the tune of $7.5 billion in terms of like the size of this ICT business. Uh, give me a sense of, you know, what dimension data, how dimension data frames IoT in the context of the greater business and specific to the African context. Uh, in, where are the opportunities? What's the promise? Wow. Okay. So there, there, there are a couple of broad, uh, broad answers I'm going to need to give there. So I think contextually, it's very important to to understand that the world is now steadily steadily moving uh, into what some people are calling the fourth industrial revolution. 
Um, and there's a, a, a really good book uh, authored by Klaus Schwab, who is the chairman and uh, founder of the World Economic Forum. And in fact, the, the term, the fourth industrial revolution, comes from, from Klaus Schwab. And really what they are pontificating, this uh, collection of, of great minds that gather every year in Davos, um, is that we really are moving into a new paradigm, a new era, which is the digital era. And many of us would, would have started to become exposed to that through examples like an Uber and how that's disrupted uh, transportation. Things like Netflix would be other examples. But those are just household examples of, of early digitization. Really, what we're seeing is there are multiple underpinning um, let me call them mega trends that are driving this era of digitization. And, and one of those is the Internet of Things. And really what the Internet of Things is, it is taking things that used to have sort of a physical attribute and giving them a digital persona by connecting them to the Internet. And many people probably confine the, the Internet of Things to a conversation about devices and sensors, but it is far more than that. That is one component. Um, it, 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 is, it is also important to note that the devices and sensors give rise to data. And that analyzed and interpreted data, very key that, analyzed and interpreted data, can be used to solve problems or to address certain opportunities. So we really see the Internet of Things as being a combination of connectivity, which is devices and sensors generating data, and then analytics or big data, um, that when interpreted can deliver a particular business outcome. And we're seeing that of many of the underlying digital trends uh, that, that form part of the, the fourth industrial revolution, the Internet of Things is gaining traction a lot quicker relative to many of the others. So we, as, as Dimension Data, have got a particular interest in this uh, for many reasons. Most importantly, because our clients... Um, are, are ambitious in their adoption of the Internet of Things, and we have a role to play in, in, in supporting them on that journey. So from our perspective, we really do see the, the Internet of Things as being fundamentally part of our future and a big driver in the tech sector. Um, moving to your second uh, uh, question, which is really how does this play out in... In, in places like South Africa and more broadly on the African continent. Yeah, like what sh why should we care? Why is this either a, a trend we should embrace or fear perhaps or, uh, or certainly support in, in a sense? And you can speak firstly maybe commercially. You mentioned your, your customers that are on their way to quote-unquote dig digital transformation and, and you want to support them in that. So you maybe start there and then bring it down to the average African, uh, not even Andile, because I, I, I don't really represent the average African in many respects. You don't. You, you absolutely don't, Andile. So, so I, th I, th I think at a, at a, at a, at a mega trend level, um, it, this is an unavoidable, right? I, I don't think that, that, that this is a situation where you choose to opt in or opt out. Um, it, it is, it, it is, this isn't Bitcoin, boys. This isn't Bitcoin. You, you don't opt in and opt out right here. Yeah. And even that's arguable. But yeah, I, I get your point. It's, it, it is a, it's a global mega phenomenon that, that's, 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 that's happening, right? And, and I think it's more of a, 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 a question of how consciously do you want to take advantage of it and become the master of your own destiny? Or do you want to become a victim of circumstance? You can choose. The trend's here. It's not going away whether you like it or not. And I think that we all need to get our heads around that is 
is precisely that. Do you want to become a victim of circumstance or a master of your own destiny? What we're seeing is many companies are choosing to be masters of their own destiny. In the enterprise context, what does that mean? Well, they realize that they've got various business challenges, whether it could be uh, a need to reduce costs, grow revenue, improve safety, health, and environmental issues, reduce risk. And they see technology being a major enabler in order to do that, and in particular, the Internet of Things. So they have chosen to become masters of their own destiny and deal with particular problems leveraging technology. Of course, they could choose not to, right? And I think that um, we are all familiar of the disruptive nature in te- of technology and the implication that has on, on, on companies. And I think uh, forward-looking CEOs that, that, that are adaptable realize that if they do not uh, take charge of their own destiny, someone else is going to do it for them. So I think from a, a corporate perspective, that's the reality we're seeing. But indeed, it's pervasive. It doesn't stop at the enterprise. I, I think it has a, a major role to play in, in government and indeed in the consumer space. And it is interesting if one takes a step back and looks at, at, at how technology has, has really liberated in many instances impoverished communities or people that were on the wrong side of the digital divide. One, one, one can just look to Kenya by way of an example with, with online payments and, and, and M-Pesa. I mean, it's a great success story the world over. If you look at cell phone penetration in, in South Africa and what people are using that for, that's incredibly liberating. So I do believe that deeply embedded uh, in, 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 in an African culture, and, and it, we've got to be very careful here, and Africa is a very big place, right? And too often we speak about it as though it's a very small geographic entity. But you really are seeing people embracing technology, not only in the corporate space, but in you know, general public life. And so this is seeing what I'd like to think of as uh, the need to reassess you know, digital ethics, if that's even a thing. Um, th- this idea that in the context of the developing world, uh, not least you know, countries on the continent. You're dealing with a, with a consumer at a certain sort of uh, level of understanding in terms of the implications of what it means to to have sensors in everything from the palm of your hand, in the case of a mobile phone, to your refrigerator, you know, your TV set. Uh, heck, you know, even the hospital bed or the cot your, your, your children, you know, play in, or the school for that matter. You know, I mean, we've heard quite a few arguments for or in the interest of, hu- you know, humanity, even here, you know, it, while we've been in, in London. What are some of the key issues that sort of filter to your mind when, when you hear these uh, issues discussed? What, what kind of floats to the top for you? So uh, I think there are two things. One is the real positive side of, of technology disruption that enables, it liberates, it makes lives better, right? And I, I think that, that, that human progress has been largely driven by innovation at the end of the day. So I think there is a massively positive slant to any of this. Now, with any technological disruption comes negative consequences. It's been like this for time immemorial, through the Stone Age, the Iron Age, through the Industrial Revolution, through the electrical era and into ultimately the digital era. So I don't think we should be surprised about this. Um, we, we, we really just need to accept the fact that this is reality and take advantage of, of your own future and grab the, the, the bull by the horns. But having said that, there are very positive 
consequences to this type of uh, mega trend. I think there are also negative consequences, right? Make no doubt you know make no doubt that that there's going to be disruption right ways of work are going to be disrupted in fact kudos to you because you were on a panel uh, uh, just the other day and you actually i mean everyone else on the panel kind of was talking up uh, you know all these amazing use cases amazing case studies for how iot has changed communities is improving yields and all that and you're like well people are going to lose their jobs because you know the nature of work will change and I appreciate that sort of pragmatism and candor because I think, you know, as Africans, we can't afford to think about it in any other way if we're going to progress. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, I think we mustn't all panic now and think that we're all going to be out of jobs. Let's just keep grounded here for a moment. What I think we need to realize is the nature of work is going to change. So if you've got highly manual tasks, you are going to get disintermediated. And I think that that is a major concern in, 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 in the third world, as it's called, in the emerging market, where many people's jobs are reliant on, frankly, manual labor type of work, right? And, and I think that automation is going to play a major role, and that is threatening to those kinds of people. Having said all of that, though, there are multiple new business opportunities, new careers, new vocations that open up for those that are digitally literate and herein lies the challenge is that i believe that not only on the african continent it applies all over the world it applies to frankly europe and north america that communities are going to have to be digitally literate it is as simple as that those communities that choose to take control of their own destiny to invest in skills are going to thrive in this new era and those that choose not to i think are going to suffer consequences. And one of those consequences is people are going to lose jobs. So if you have not started to cross the digital divide, you are going to get left behind. And those, those are the consequences of change, by the way. Um, and and it, it's, it's just something that's an irrevocable truth. And that puts into context some of the uh, corporate efforts, many of which we sort of look at with some cynicism on the show. <laughs> you know, Google trying to, you know, train millions and IBM's trying to train, Cisco's trying to do this. And, and of course, we, we go, okay, well, good for you. But in the context of what you're saying, I mean, I, I look at those kind of efforts with a, with a renewed interest or at least a, a renewed appreciation because what you're saying is, is at a fundamentally basic level, how digitally ready or how digitally equipped are our communities for the future that's coming absolutely um and 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 one would have to say that 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 on the african continent they largely are not right i think they are the privileged few that that happen to have been given decent educations that are exposed to the global village and as a result they are carried away by a rising tide um of of digitization um that does not mean that we cannot achieve the same for all. One of the great frustrations in South Africa, I think, has been the regulatory environment and as a result the lack of 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 bandwidth, frankly, right? High speed internet connectivity into schools, into communities the world over. That in itself is a massive enabler, right? And I think we lag for 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 really unnecessary reasons at the end of the day. Some of them are geopolitical, let's be honest, but they're unnecessary. I think the, the other area 
uh, that, that is, is really needing focus is the education system um, across the world. I don't think this is an African uh, comment, frankly. Um, you are starting to see shining lights like Singapore, by way of an example, introduce coding, coding, the ability to write code into the school curriculum. This is like having maths or history or, or a language in the syllabus. And they realize that you know, for, for Singaporeans to thrive in the world, they've got to be digitally literate. In this day and age where you've got so many online courses, um, we were talking earlier, I think this week, about what Harvard and MIT are doing, which is accessible to anybody on the planet for free, right, if you've got a high-speed internet linked. There is no reason why uh, an impoverished community um, in rural Zimbabwe, if they've got access, cannot uplift themselves. They do not have to be left behind. Um, so I do see this as being a play that's got opportunity, but at the same time also some negativity. Um, but, but, but that's not unusual, as I keep saying. I think every mega disruptive trend comes with these consequences. Double-edged sword, so to speak. And so we were talk, speaking off mic earlier about your entrepreneurship career really you've you've sort of hacked this career of embedding yourself in in great organizations and then being tasked with uh their startup efforts as it were and certainly one of the things i think you have the benefit of leveraging in in your position at dimension data is this amazing brand that comes with you know a certain um, uh, uh, amount of trust certainly in the enterprise space um, I'm not sure consumers really get what you do or, you know but that's irrelevant at this point really uh, and and my point being trust being so important in discussions around IOT and how willing and ready enterprise is to receive it how uh, enthusiastically that man on the street the woman on the street is to to see it integrated into their lives. Talk me through trust in the context of, you know, the security threats we've seen uh, executed uh, in the West, uh, many of them leveraging IoT infrastructure like, you know, like cameras. I'm thinking the botnet attack that, that, that leveraged camera uh, feeds and that kind of thing. Uh, we look at this perhaps in, in our context on the continent and go, that doesn't seem to be working so well over there, and we're not sure we want to introduce. And I'm thinking, perhaps as a C-suite, you know, type person, you know, in an enterprise on the continent, going, I'm not sure I'm willing to engage that that level of risk, you know, in my tenure, you know, looking over this this company for you know for these shareholders. What do you? How, how do you leverage trust, and how important has it been in terms of like alleviating the fears around security when it comes to IoT? Um, you know. I think it's fair to say in this day and age that, that, that brand is, is absolutely critical to the fortunes of any company, right? And uh, you, you build a brand over many, many years, and that is the basis of trust. I think Dimension Data was a, one of a handful of companies that post-liberation uh, in South Africa in 1994 uh, ended up listing on the London Stock Exchange. Um, and I think that Dimension Data was only able to do that because we had built a reputation largely in South Africa, of being trusted advisors and a safe pair of hands to largely corporate South Africa. So trust was earned. And for many organizations, they, they come to us for precisely that comfort, that we're a trusted advisor, that we're a safe pair of hands to deliver on the promise of digitization for them. Um, and that's something we work on every day. 
Um, I'll admit I don't think we've always got the answers, but by and large we, we, we tend to get it right. So I think. And in fairness, sorry, in fairness, just because you have people's trust doesn't necessarily mean it, it's any easier for you to deal with crisis, you know, crises like we're seeing happen all over the world. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Um, I think that, that that's a very valid observation. Um, so, so, so having said said all of that, I, I do think that 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 this is more than just a technology issue, um, this question of trust and, and, and security breaches, etc. Technology is a great enabler at the end of the day. And yes, I think the, the tech companies have got a major role to play in, in making sure that they continue to be um, secured. But governments have got a major role to play. Users have got a major role to play. You know, the, the, the last major security breach that I think we saw the world over was the WannaCry virus. Um, it's remarkable to know that a patch existed for that particular flaw in what was largely a Microsoft operating system environment long before the virus ever uh, 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 spread around the world, but the users just hadn't updated the patches. So now in that instance, is that Microsoft's fault? Is that government's fault or is it actually the user's fault? So I, th- I think one's got to be, be very realistic about where responsibility lies for dealing with threat. Um, but, of course, companies that can earn the trust of consumers, whether it be a retail consumer or indeed the corporate space, are the ones that are going to thrive. And I do think that security is a paradigm we are all going to have to be more and more conscious about. I think we're very aware of it, sadly, with, with, with terrorism, the scourge of it that has spread all over the world. But I do think that the digital security is going to become more and more part of our daily lives. Um, and and and, that and even the the breach of that security, in a sense, unfortunately, right? If we have if we're being pragmatic, yeah, it, it absolutely is. I mean, I, I think you, you you've seen the the identity theft the world over. Um, obviously, there's there's the, the stuff related to to financial uh, theft. You know, uh, my my check card and credit card have both been hacked actually in the last week. You should have come to Dimension Data. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. That, uh, no, no, no. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. Okay. But that is, that is, that, that, that is a reality, right? And, 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 you know, it's just something that is unavoidable. So, do I think that that's going to stop the the fourth industrial revolution? No, I don't. You know, if you think about the, the the consequences that came about through through the rise of the automobile, right? Yes, there were car crashes, right? And tragically so. Um, pollution increased. It certainly didn't stop the march of progress. And I think that that is our reality, is that there is a march of progress, and if you're going to want to come along for the ride, be a master of your own destiny, you will thrive in this world. If you want to fight against it and and... And, and, and pretend that it's not going to happen to you. I think you will become a victim of circumstance. Will there be negative consequences along the way? Of course there will. But I think they're going to be outweighed. I genuinely do. I think they'll be outweighed because innately, I, I, I believe that, that human nature is ultimately good. Right? People, I think good will triumph over evil at the end of the day. And it's a simplistic view of the world because now and again there will be ebbs and flows where, where evil does triumph, like when we see virus outbreaks. But on balance, I think you won't stop the march of progress in a positive direction. Digital ethics, is, I'm going to dive back into that, that foray, but in the context of geopolitics this time, um, 
the internet things is bound to make life very interesting for big you know tech firms that are interacting with with governments as you've mentioned um i think of apple's refusal to to let the fbi hack that that um that uh, terrorist phone and and the fallout and i mean looking back uh, i i have to say i have to agree with many of the, some of the think pieces on 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 the recent uh, you know the recent uh um the recent hack uh, that suggests that it sort of validates Apple's decision not to to help the government basically hack. It will compromise their system, and and perhaps governments aren't the the safest place to have stashes of vulnerabilities and and that kind of thing. And I think IoT or the the adoption of IoT is going to impact the ethical considerations companies are going to need to make as they engage governments, both as clients. And as policymakers, I think we 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 don't have all the answers, and I, I think that people are, are searching for a utopia that right now does not exist. I think we're going to be challenged with realities that we just haven't had to face before, um, and and these are dilemmas that 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 in my opinion, are going to take multiple parties to have to resolve. I don't think you're going to see it being government only or tech only or societies only. But make no mistake, I mean, ethics is, 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 is going to play an ever-increasing role in our lives. Um, and, and I don't envy Tim Cook at Apple to have to make a decision. You know, you, you can very comfortably argue either way uh, for, for either a relaxation of privacy or, in fact, an increase in, in, in privacy. It, it, it's almost n- not so much if people have got access to the data. It's what they do with the data, right? Um, and I think people get a little bit confused sometimes. And for me, you, you, you aren't going to get an absolute answer to this at the end of the day. And it probably will end up being determined by your own personal experiences Right. So if, if 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 you are sadly on the um, on 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 the on, on the on the negative side of 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 let's say uh, an attack, let's use the sad incidents that happened in Manchester this week, uh, you would very strongly advocate for government intervention and being able to get into frankly any system in the world. Right. But unless that's happened to you, you may decide that you you don't want heavy government. You, 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 you really want to be the master of your own destiny, a sovereign individual, right? And, 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 and I think it's, it's going to boil down to personal experience in many ways. And I mean, yeah, I, 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 I love what you're saying because I feel like we, we oversimplify issues. Um, it's, it's lazy, frankly, to, to assume that there is a neat and tidy solution to approaching a, a, geopolit- a geopolitical debate, a security debate, and, and and people make it a right or wrong thing, and, and I do think there is far more room for for debate and discussion around things than there is a need to sort of lay down the law, as it were. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, you, you use the word lazy. I, I, I think that's a great word to use. I mean, I, I think that, that this is going to require intellectual rigor. I think it's, it's, it's going to require an ecosystem of capabilities to be brought to the party in, in dealing with these societal challenges. Um, and, and maybe the, the other word that really does come to mind in, in, in how one deals with this laziness is leadership. Um, uh, too often, I think, we see, see leaders... Um, possibly being populist in their in their approach no doubt to get themselves elected but setting up their constituency um for for failure at the end of the day 
Um, now, of course, to, to, to a certain populace, that appeals, right? It's protectionist in nature. It isolates them. There's a comfort factor. Well, that only lasts until such time as change arrives on your doorstep. Um, so I do believe that the, the, the world we are moving into is going to challenge leadership to the core. And ethics are going to become an ever, ever more important part of, of leadership. I think proactivity, human nature is not overly proactive by nature. We're often spurred into activity as a result of, 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 of some necessity. Um, you know, they often say that, that war is the mother of all inventions because out of necessity you need to make a plan. Um, and I do believe in this world we're going to have to be hyper-proactive. It's going to require strong leadership that can paint a vision of where people need to go, although people have maybe never been there before. And not dictate a path either. And not dictate a path. You've got to get consensus in, 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 in many ways uh, in order to progress. And these are challenges that, that you, don't, you, you don't get out of a textbook, right? Well, you don't get the answers out of a textbook. But again, when one takes a step back, I'm, I'm, I'm broadly optimistic. And so we're going to wind down with, you know, some use or some case studies that uh, Dimension Data has been involved in. I know you guys have a massive partnership with Cisco, world leader in, in many respects uh, as far as uh, enabling this, this wonderful new digital world, at least as far as enterprise is concerned. Um, however, on our way there, one more tough question. Uh, I heard it said yesterday, one of the speakers uh, equated data as a resource, called it the new gold, as it were, the new, the new oil, this amazing new resource that people either tend to undervalue or typically tend to undervalue, uh, give away too easily. Um, he, he cited uh, some organizations that perhaps are monopolizing how it's used and, and, and disenfranchising people. Uh, who, who might otherwise benefit from harnessing their data in a certain way that benefits them, either individually or corporately, right? So explain to our listeners what makes data so valuable and what makes their data specifically so valuable and, and perhaps uh, give them a framework for thinking about their own data in, in a way perhaps they haven't thought about it before. Yeah, I mean, th th there's no doubt that, that, that data is increasing in value. You know, people try and equate it to, to, to some sort of a currency, right, or some sort of commodity, something with value. And data, no doubt, has value. If you look at the, 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 the most valuable companies on this earth, right, which are Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, Google, Alphabet. I mean, these are, are what are called platform providers, but really are major data type companies. Okay, and 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 the reason they're so valuable is frankly because of the data they have, and with that, their ability to shape buying patterns, consumption, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's a huge ability to monetize um, the underlying data. It, it almost gives predictability to businesses. They know what people are going to buy in advance. They know what to stock. They understand preferences, buying patterns, etc. So this is, is, is highly valuable, and it is why those companies that have got first-move advantage are so esteemed, so valued, and in many instances so feared. And it's our data that's enabling all this. In many ways. In, in data that we often very happily and quite frankly fairly uh, give to them. Give to them, absolutely. Some of it's quite anonymous data. 
And I, I think when we talk about giving away data, people get paranoid and they think that there's an absolute knowing that this is data from Andila. And, and in some instances, there is, right? There, there is that ability to track it back to, to an individual. A lot of it is anonymous data that really looks at, at human nature, human buying patterns, human consumption. And I'm not sure there's much to fear in that. It's anonymous at the, at the end of the day. I do think that people are starting to realize that there's value in their own personal data. And at what stage do you try and look at, at monetizing that so we're all aware of, of things like fitbits and and, and all of these uh, wearables that that are used often as an incentive for a particular uh, uh, corporation so we just think of insurance you stay fit prove it by wearing some sort of wearable and uh, we'll give you a lower premium right it's a great model by the way it's a win-win-win-win-win model but i think the consumer in that instance is gaining by virtue of the fact that they would have a lower premium but in the same sentence i also think they're probably underestimating the value of that data is is, is they could on sell that data maybe not only to the insurer but to to multiple other entities is that a world we're moving into yeah possibly where people pay but but we're also i think in, in, in 2017, uh, faced with an interesting trend around the world where people don't want to pay for anything, right? So, frankly, who does want to pay for your data? You know, we, it, it's a very, very uh, philosophical debate that, 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 that I don't think we've got the answers to. Um, I think it's summed up in a quote I picked up, and I'm, I'm, I was terrible at sort of attributing who said what, but hey, it was someone clever um, who said it um, that, we, that we're moving from uh, the Internet of Information to the Internet of Value. And I think it, it expresses that. I think the way we assign value, the way we exchange it, and, and our willingness to either give data or influence or heck even money over for the sake of pers- or acquiring value is going to change significantly. And I'm sure IoT is going to you know, change all that. A, a huge disruptor in that. In that. But, but, you know, I, I think often what, what, what happens is at, 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 at think tanks like the one we're in right now is people look a long way down the road. Right, a long way down the road. And I think there's, there's probably a need to ground ourselves in a bit of reality here. So let's understand that trajectory-wise, that's roughly where we're heading. By the way, it won't be absolutely where we're heading because the world will change. It's roughly where we're heading. And, 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 and almost ground ourselves in the reality of today. Um, we are just at the beginning of the Internet of Things, right? Just at the beginning of it. We're talking about a play that's going to last decades. Okay, So... I think the audience and, and your listeners needs to be realistic about how disruptive this is going to be in a particular time frame. You're not going to wake up one morning and the world's changed. It's a steady progression. So I do think that people have got time, if they choose to become masters of their own destiny, to actually take advantage of it. And, and human nature does adapt. That is why we are the planet's uh, kind of iconic species. I'm not going to say most successful because people say we're actually destroying our world as we live in it um but but we're an adaptable species and i do think that with the march of time we are going to be able to adapt to to this new paradigm and speaking of species let's end with a case study an interesting uh project that you're working on in the kruger national park that demonstrates the power of of um, iot deployment uh talk us through it man and and i know you're a man who enjoys his wildlife and if I'm, if I'm correct, you even considered a career in, in that space. Uh, certainly, you are now finding new ways uh, to, to support you know, 
a passion of yours, but certainly an important endeavor for, for all humanity, really. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I, I, in a previous life, I, w- I was a game ranger for a number of years um, and I found myself as an, an accidental technology practitioner. But uh, we, we, we've got a, a pilot project that we're running on a, a private reserve that borders on the Kruger National Park that really is using the Internet of Things. So that means devices and sensors to give an early warning of people uh, illegally uh, entering a particular reserve uh, with the intention of poaching rhinos. Now, technology has been used in trying to stem the scourge of rhino poaching, often by tagging the animal itself. But if you think about this logically, a sensor that tells you that a rhino has been lying down or static for two hours is, 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 is frankly uh, reactive. That animal's probably already been shot. So we, we changed the thinking, and we've used a number of devices and sensors to give an early warning of an intrusion into a reserve. Over the last 18 months, we've seen uh, a 96% reduction in rhino poaching on this particular reserve. And that in itself, I think, proves the worth of IoT. But what I would like to just point out here is that it is benefiting the environment and in particular an iconic African species like the rhino but it's got huge societal implications if you have a look at, 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 at the, the impact that GDP uh, that is delivered through tourism has on countries like South Africa Botswana, Kenya you start losing iconic game species, right? elephant, rhino, lion you name it, you have a major societal impact on societies that live on the edge of these reserves and tourism in general. Now, you talk about an industry that can attract an unskilled individual. Tourism lends itself to that. So I really do believe we are playing with fire when we we are ambivalent towards uh, protecting our natural heritage. And we're seeing the Internet of Things play a major role, not only to the benefit of, of, of rhinos themselves, but in maintaining these attractions which have got huge societal impact. People are employed in lodges. Um, people gain a living out of this. Without these species, people don't come. You don't have a job. So we're, we're really excited about this. We're looking to take it broader. We've got some work going on with sharks in Australia. We've got some work starting with, with, with uh, uh, entities in India, particularly looking at tiger. So these are just anecdotal examples of, of the Internet of Things playing a really, really positive role. And uh, look forward to, to when we next meet, telling you a couple more stories, uh, Andile. Thank you so much for chatting. Anton Juster of Dimension Data, thank you so much for being on the African Tech Roundup. Wonderful. Thank you for the opportunity.